Welcome to the official Jets podcast powered by Amazon Web Services. Ethan Greenberg, Eric Allen here in the team meeting room or what we call the auditorium in the front of the, the class here, so to speak. Teacher's Te- back. Were, were you a front row kid or a back row kid? Middle row. Because the back row kids thought they were too cool for school. <laughs> the kids up in the first row were a little bit too eager for me. So. <laughs> yeah, I was not a first row, a front row kid either. Were, were, were you a class clown? No. Okay. I don't know why. I thought maybe you would be. I had a hot temper. Okay, so <laughs> therefore needed to be in the middle or the back. Regardless, it's the Combine preview. The Combine's coming up. We're recording on a Thursday, and a week from now, the drills start on the field at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. And I feel like it's one of those things where draft season is – it really starts in January, but then it ramps up just about now. So given everything that's going on in mock drafts and you often see a tackle being selected by the Jets at number 11, whether it's Andrew Thomas, Tristan Wirfs, Mekhi Becton, of course, is the hot name right now. Jedrick Wills. Or Jedrick Wills, or even the receivers like Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb. Well, what's your overall take on where the Jets are? Obviously, free agency has not happened yet and a lot will be shaped based on what Joe Douglas and his staff do there but what do you think about the mock draft so far it's all interesting because it can change so much between now and late April I mean we're talking about we're sitting here and it's late February so you still have a full two months to go the importance of Indianapolis has never changed I don't think everybody inside buildings throughout the National Football League always talk about medicals and mm-hmm. how these guys do uh, from an interview perspective but it's going to be different this year because the schedules are basically swapped because for years greens these guys were working out during the day but now it's a made for tv event because the prospects are going to be working out in prime time and nfl network is going to take advantage of that and maybe tap into some new audiences but with that being said what I feel about the mock drafts um no surprise because we saw the Jets what they had 11 different offensive line starters in 2019 and Joe Douglas a former offensive lineman at Richmond who helped build helped build the Philadelphia Eagles offensive line into a championship unit has talked about that being a priority not only this year but for for however long he's going to be here as general manager of the New York Jets, he wants to be stout up front. So you got both of your tackles yeah. from last year and Brandon Shell on the right side, Calvin Beecham on the left. They are unrestricted free agents. I believe the Jets have six offensive linemen who are unrestricted free mm-hmm. agents. Six and, of their 11 starters. And, and I mean, the, the ones that come to mind are Tom Compton started down the stretch for Brian Winters. And he's going to be free agent. And Alex Lewis, whom the Jets traded for from Baltimore, yep. free agent. And you mentioned the Eagles offensive line. I even think about when Joe Douglas was a part of the Ravens team back in the day. And you think of Jonathan Ogden being the staple there. Right, it's Jonathan Ogden. I'm not yeah. going crazy, right? Yeah. Okay. All famer. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. I, I sometimes get confused. Or you, you looked at me for a minute. I was like, well, maybe I'm thinking no, of Orlando yeah. Pace. No, you have It's it. Jonathan Ogden. He, he was like the mainstay there for the Ravens. So, And like you said, Joe Douglas said they, not only the offensive line, but the defensive line, too, always going to be a priority for 
the Jets as long as he's here. And the Jets right now pretty pretty stout on the defensive line, so I think it makes sense for the offensive lineman. And I think in terms of the combine, I think it's important to to say that the medicals are clearly very important. The interviews that teams do behind the scenes that the fans don't get to see. And then after that, then the testing is what's important in that pecking orders, like medicals and interviews and then the athletic testing. Well, I, I talked to NFL personnel about this over the years, and they've always said that what you want to see when these guys actually go and work out is that it validates what mm-hmm. you see on tape. And you never want to look at a guy's workout in Indianapolis and vault him into a different stratosphere because the most important thing when you're talking about a football player is the tape. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that because you you think about a guy last year, and this is probably going to make its way around the Twitter circuits shortly, DK Metcalf in the three-cone drill had like a historically bad number, and everyone at this time last year – after Metcalf went through the combine, okay, he's a freak straight line, right. ran a four three something, yeah. freak on, on on the bench press, but he doesn't have the agility. And then of course he had a very good season with the Seattle Seahawks as a rookie. And if you watch the tape from Ole Miss, you you see that. But the combine being in prime time and being the the spectacle that it is, I think sometimes gets. A little too much attention to what you said, where the tape almost gets overshadows at times. Oh, yeah, and uh, I'm glad you actually brought up Metcalf because I remember last year at about this time, people were saying, I don't know if he's run enough routes. Mm-hmm. It's a limited offense in terms of uh, what he's doing and how is he going to make the transition to the National Football League. I know the argument on the other side of the spectrum is going to be, Oh, yeah, well, they did run a lot of nine routes. They did run a lot of goes with the Seattle Seahawks. But he looked to be an emerging young talent Mm -hmm. in the National Football League uh, last year and a good fit with the Seattle Seahawks. But uh, Jets have eight draft picks in all. I believe Green's, it's, what is it, three picks in the top 66. And they have four picks overall in the first three rounds. you got to credit mm-hmm. Joe Douglas for that Leonard Williams trade because he picks up the, the additional three this year in 2020. And definitely at least a five in 2021. Yeah. That becomes a four if the Giants indeed sign Leonard Williams to a contract extension before the league year on March 18th. Right, and the Jets back in August traded for Nate Harrison and gave up a six-round pick. And then I guess the conditions were not met in the deal, so the Jets got Nate Harrison and they got their pick back. That's right. So then now the Jets have two six-round picks, one which is their own and the other one that they traded to the Kansas City Chiefs or that the Chiefs traded to them for Darren Lee. Darren Lee, oh, yeah. So Darren. so the Jets have a one. D. Lee got a Super Bowl ring, He huh? did. Yeah. D. Lee, Mike Pinnell, yeah. and Eli McGuire practice squad player there i saw big uh Pinnell out there he's wearing 64 during the game and uh i think that uh, uh it was nice especially to see him get a mm-hmm. ring because he's had a long and windy road um but yeah. uh and, and it's always interesting to see when you're watching the super bowl or the playoffs guys who have come through the door here and uh, yeah. you know roster you can say that throughout the league because the you're never going to see the same roster every year and there are always guys who wore green and white now sprinkled throughout the league right and like you said that's the case for all 31 other teams in the nfl too i mean 
One guy that stuck out to me on the Titans, Anthony Ferkser was signed here as an undrafted free agent out of Harvard. Harvard. Actually, um, an intern here in 2016 with me played football at Harvard, Devon Robertson. and He was a quarterback, wasn't he? He was a defensive end. Okay. Well, it was close. You know. Well, I thought a tight end needed a quarterback. So. So, and so <laughs> Do you when, keep, out? Do you keep up with Devon? Sometimes, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I spoke to him a couple weeks ago or texted with him a couple weeks ago. But he um, he's real friendly with Ferkser. So when Ferk came here, I made sure to go talk to him. And it's just it's one of those things where – I might never see him again, but I remember that moment. Regardless, I'm getting off. I'm getting off track here. That's fine. The great thing about the draft, as we head into the combine, is that um, what you're thinking about down the line is what's going to happen with the quarterback domino. As you mentioned, the free agency. So we're going to have to look at free agency first from a Jets perspective, from a league perspective, because that's kind of going to set the table for mm-hmm. what's to come in the draft. What you want to do, and every GM throughout the league will tell you this for the most part, is you want to fill your holes in free agency so you don't enter the draft with a gaping hole saying, I have to go in this direction. Because when you have to do something, that's when you make mistakes. So so the Jets are set at quarterback. We don't know who's going to be the backup quarterback next year because Trevor Simeon, who was hurt in week two, He's an unrestricted free agent. David Fells, who finished the year as the backup quarterback, he's an unrestricted free agent. But we know who the quarterback is, and that's 22-year-old Sam Darnold, who still, by the way, is probably younger than, I would bet, half of the guys coming out. So (laughs) Sam Darnold is, I'm pretty sure, six months younger than Joe Burrow. There you go. The projected number one pick. Yep. And, you know, it's funny because this time of year – Yes, the combine means so much, but just to show you how much the on-testing matters, I mean, Sam Darnold didn't throw up the combine. Like, if Joe Burrow doesn't throw up the combine, it probably does next to nothing for for his stock in terms of the potential to decrease. Because this is the first time where he can talk to teams because he didn't go to the senior role, he didn't do any of that. So this is the first time that he's going to talk to the Bengals and, and any other team that wants to talk to yeah. him that's in the market for a quarterback. And, you know, I think that... Similar to the Senior Bowl, the same thing can be said for the combine in that a lot of players will use this week as a launch pad. And, of course, there will be a couple guys where they'll they'll tailor off. Like DK Metcalf was one of those guys just because of the three-cone drill, even though he, he's a freaky athlete and all the other ones. So are there any guys that you think are going to jump out of the gym per se? I'd or- ask you that question because you've been uh, handling – Brugler's draft board throughout the year on NewYorkJets.com, and also you had that prospect uh, profile series that you wrote about. So I kind of flipped the tables and asked you that same question. But I will say that the other thing to keep in mind when we're watching the workouts is all these guys are going to have another opportunity Mm -hmm. in a couple weeks at their individual pro days to – perform better in whatever they did or didn't do in Indianapolis. Like some guys will say, I'm not going to run in Indianapolis, but I'll run at my place. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. Or maybe some guys won't do uh, good in specific drills. Like you said, three cone drills, but you know, who's, you know, who this reminds me of, this reminds me of Jamal Adams. No, he, his 40 at the combine, I'm pretty sure was 
okay, and then he ran something ridiculous at his pro day. Yeah. And and that, of course, meant a lot to Jamal. And then you you watch him on tape, and he's clearly got the speed. Right. It's not an issue. So it's, it's one of those things also where the 40-yard dash is so mechanical. So if you have a track background, you know how to get into stands, you know how to, how to best – burst off the line in terms of straight line 40-yard dash. That's what it's all about is yeah. about your beginning. And uh, most of these guys who are projected to be first, second-round picks, mm-hmm. they're each hanging out with individual trainers right, right now, and they're yeah. working on that if they're going to run. Um, but getting back to the quarterback a bit, we'll talk about the quarterbacks and free agency. I think we should touch upon that a little bit because mm-hmm. – that's going to have an impact on the draft. But you mentioned Burrow. I'd say right now, Greens, before you answer the question, because we got off on a little tangent, is number one and number two, I'd put them in pen right now. Joe Burrow is going to become Cincinnati Bengal, and Chase Young is going to become a Washington Redskin. Is that safe to say? Yeah, well, <laughs> the, only, the only way I don't see Joe Burrow going number one yeah. is if he doesn't want to be a Bengal. Okay. And does and somehow similar to Eli Manning and Phil Rivers and what 04 that was or whatever year that was, um, do something similar to that. Yeah. And I think that's kind of a storyline that's going around right now because Joe Burrow didn't say he, he he had a quote that was like I understand I have leverage and I have a process and the Bengals have a process but neither of us have talked to each other so I, I think. One, you know, this time of year, I think people want to stir the pot a little yeah, bit, sure, no doubt. Sure. But it didn't seem like – it didn't – you know, Joe Burrow could have said something along the lines of, you know what, if the Bengals want to take me, like, yeah, that, that's a dream come true to be the number one overall pick and da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. It seems like the door is open, but obviously I don't know if he's going to walk through that door. And I think we're going to be sitting here at draft weekend in a couple months. We'll be at the – brand new bet MGM casino studio and we're going to be talking about flashpoints and mm-hmm. the first flashpoint will be Detroit because are they really going to sit there and take a very impressive quarterback out mm-hmm. of Ohio State Jeff Akuda who all the mock draft yeah, right. experts have him going there right now and number four is the Giants what are they going to do will they be the first team to actually take an offensive tackle mm-hmm. And how will that ultimately impact the Jets? Because how do they have their board stacked with these, with this top quartet of tackles? Yeah. It sure seems like greens, and you, you can fill me in on this. Wills, Wirfs, um, Thomas, and Becton are considered by most to be the top four, however ordered you have yeah, them. I, yeah, I, I think that's definitely fair, and – I think the one thing about the tackles that's interesting is two of those guys, and Jedrick Wills and Tristan Wirfs, predominantly played on the right side of the offensive line. So granted, they might be very good, talented players. I don't know if you're the Giants at four, let's say, and you want your franchise left tackle because Nate Solder's getting older and whatnot. Do you take somebody like Wills and try to project him on the left side? Yeah. Or do you just – try to draft somebody like Thomas, who is a left tackle. He was voted by the SEC coaches as the SEC's top offensive lineman this season. Like, do you go that route, or do you go the raw 
mountain of a man in Makai Becton. And Becton is, he's fascinating to me because he's listed on Louisville's website at 6'7", 369 pounds. Yeah. I can't wait to see what he runs in the 40 because everyone talks about how light he is on his feet and even his weigh-in. Like, is he going to come in at... 360 is he going to come in 355 has he been eating has he been training like that that's a big deal i think for him i wonder how much they weigh that no pun intended how fast the guy runs in the 40 probably not a lot but like i want to see how i can how well how well he moved laterally and the other part of this is wonder what nfl teams think of that weight do they want him 20 pounds less Uh, are they comfortable with where he's at? Because, uh, you know, I can't think of an offensive lineman in the NFL today who weighs quite that much right. playing left yeah, tackle. Yeah, me neither. I feel, like, I feel like that's part of the appeal, though. He's so big and on tape supposedly moves so well for a guy that size. I think that might be, you know, if a team falls in love with him, yeah. let's say theoretically the Giants fall in love with him and the idea of having this – wanting a generational talent given his size and his ability to be agile and be a dancing bear, no pun intended. Yeah. I feel like how do you pass up on that guy if you're the Giants? Yeah, I, I don't think you do. And, and the other thing uh, to think about here is Miami is most likely going to take a quarterback mm-hmm. with their first pick. When are they going to pick, though? Right now, they're slotted at what? Is it six? Five. Is it five? They're five. And the Chargers, who are also yeah, are six, right, right now, yeah, in the uh, market for a quarterback. Uh, so there you go. So, you, so there you go. So can those two teams sit there um, and get their guy? It is Miami's guy, Tua, and, and is he sitting there at five? Um, are the Chargers comfortable going in the direction of Herbert from Oregon? And what's going on in free agency? Because <laughs> we start with Drew Brees. We know he's going back to New Orleans mm-hmm. for weeks, with, uh, wondering if maybe he retires and that's it mm-hmm. for Drew Brees. But you got Teddy Bridgewater out there. Taysom Hill is a restricted free agent. Teddy is a UFA. He's probably looking to start somewhere, uh, the former Jet. Um, and then you, it all starts with New England, Tom Brady. Mm, yeah. Um, he's going to enter free agency for the first time in his professional career and is going to entertain offers. If Tom Brady makes a move, what do the Patriots do in turn? Uh, Is Brady out with the Chargers, the Raiders, whatever? It it would be your first year that you've been here without Tom Brady as quarterback, right? Yes. Uh, My first year here was, my first season was 2001. That was his rookie year? Uh, No, it was... His second season, I believe, or it might have been his third. Was his second season he took over as starter? I should know that. But uh, that was the first game following 9-11 in Foxborough. That's the game that yeah. uh, Mo Lewis um, and Sean Ellis converged on Drew Bledsoe yeah. right in front of the sideline, directly across from me because I was working PR at the time. Uh, he obviously, Bledsoe, suffered from internal bleeding. It was a near-death experience. We later found that out. And some skinny kid oh, from Michigan came into the game, Tom Brady. The Jets won that game 10-3. Curtis Martin rushed for over 100 yards, but never would have known what was to come because 
not only did he take over and they started having success, the Patriots at that time in 2001 were the little engine that could. You know, they were kind of not the overly talented team, but right. they're coaching them up well. They're sticking together, and they found a way, and they ultimately beat the Rams that year in the Super Bowl, and that started the dynasty. Yeah. Uh, but I got no idea, you know. Do you think Brady's going back to New England? I don't know. I think it's – it's hard to imagine him not being in New England. Yeah. I'm sure probably the same for you. And I know some people might point, well, Peyton, same thing. Like, no one pictured him in a, in a Broncos uniform. Well, Peyton got hurt. Like, Tom didn't get hurt. Like, this would be Tom Brady leaving because he thinks the next opportunity is probably the best chance to win. And actually, Pat McAfee said this on his show. And it, I Pat, like Pat McAfee. Me too. This kind of stuff. Very entertaining. He is very entertaining. A lot he, of energy. Love it. So Pat was saying, you know, most people in their twilight years of their career want to go to New England and win a ring. You know, I mean, you think of all the guys that, you know, one-year deals, or even someone like Randy Moss, who goes, turns his career around there, has a great year. And then Tom Brady is doing that now, but he might leave New England. Like, it's kind of this, this yeah. paradox here because most most veterans in the league might go up to Foxborough for a year, be with Tom Brady and, one, and try to win a ring with Bill Belichick and all them, and now Tom has the opportunity, but he might leave. So I, I, at the end of the day – So that's going to be the talk of the combine, to be honest with you, is that that's going to be one of the key uh, points that you're going to hear about throughout the week because mm-hmm. – um, this is when everybody in a league converges on one town in America's heartland and you have free agency that precedes the draft. So what is to come? Everybody's going to be talking about that there. Um, and then it just doesn't – like if Brady were ever to leave, then what does New England do? What are the Chargers doing since they parted ways with Phillip Rivers? Is Indianapolis sticking in it out with Jacoby Brissett? Maybe is there a reunion between Frank Reich and Rivers in Indianapolis? That seems to be picking up steam a lot now. Yeah, it, it, you just don't know what's going to happen in Carolina with Cam Newton. They have new ownership and new coach and Matt Rule. Um, how is his health? Is he ready to roll? Uh, would they part ways? Would him? Would he be on a market? You got Jameis Winston, a former. What was he? Was he number one overall? Yeah. Former number one overall pick, who's what twenty six years old or so? Who's going to be on? And, uh, and now supposedly he's got LASIK vision. <laughs> who's going to be? Uh, who's going to be an unrestricted free agent? Um, the list goes on and on. So I mean, we could see a lot of status quo. But we could see a seismic shift in the National Football League uh, to the likes of what we've never seen before. Yeah, I was going to say, this definitely feels like a stage is set for some crazy stuff to happen in the NFL and see players in uniforms that you might not even have thought of at even the beginning of this season. And you think of Phil Rivers, of course. I mean, Tom Brady's the headliner. Yep. Drew Brees, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm actually really curious to see what happens with Teddy. Like he, to me, to me, that's one of the more interesting players because how much money is he going to command after? I think he's an NFL starter. Yeah, but how, how much? How much is that? And you think about it, he played very well for the Saints. He played well here. 
in the preseason yeah. in the brief stint that that he was here and then like how, how much is that worth to, to a team I think it's going to be very fascinating to see the market for Teddy Bridgewater yeah um he did a fine job filling in for Breeze last year obviously that's a pretty complete team one of the better yeah. teams in the National Football League but uh I thought he got better with each passing game, and he's going to be an attractive option for somebody. Um, but, uh, yeah, this is really something. Then you got to monitor the health of Big Ben Roethlisberger in of Pittsburgh. Course. So there is also what's going on in the National Football League right now when we talk about Breeze, we talk about Brady, we talk about Rivers, um, we talk about Ben. you you got to start thinking about the next generation. We saw that in the Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes, great player, <clears throat> wasn't having his best outing, but when the moment was its toughest, he stepped up his game and he led the Chiefs to a Super Bowl victory, and a lot of people are talking about maybe he becomes a $40 million player, $40 million <laughs> a year crazy. player. But with that being said, it's not just going to be Mahomes leading the NFL into the next generation. Who's going to be with him? And one of the guys, and I'm not just saying this because we're sitting here in the Jets meeting room, is one of the most talented young quarterbacks in the league is Sam Darnold. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, that was the point. There you go. Um, what I was going to say was we got off track a little bit. and I Yeah, th- we're recording. Yeah, well, we're trying to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's jump back to the combine and yeah. um, 40-yard dash clearly going to be going to be imperative for viewership in the sense that all fans love the 40-yard dash. I think a lot of people think Henry Ruggs, the Alabama receiver, might take the crown there. Jerry Judy, his sub four three greens or no? Yeah, Jerry Judy said he's going to run sub four three. Jerry Judy himself hopes to run four uh, sub four three. He said. Well, I didn't know Judy had that kind of speed compared to his teammate. So, well, Ruggs, yeah. Ruggs is the guy, is speed-wise. Yeah, but if Judy's running sub 4-3, what is Ruggs running, 3-9? Well, Judy <laughs> thinks he might run – Judy thinks Ruggs might run a 4-2, 4-2-2, or 4-2-5 or something like that. Uh, well, that would take the top of our defense. <laughs> you, you know, while, <laughs> while we sit here and talk about the tackles is that – What's it, uh, myself and you have discussed this multiple times off camera and off the podcast is that, you know, the Jets could come to select at number 11 if they stay there. And it's possible all four of those top tackles could be off the board. Yeah. Whereas, conversely, this receiver class, as Dane Brugler has told you, is pretty exceptional. Mm-hmm. There could be. Every receiver still on the board when the Jets go up there to select in Las Vegas. Yeah, I think I think that's going to be fascinating because even let's say three out of the four tackles are gone by eleven, that leaves Joe Douglas and his staff with options in terms of one. What do you think about that one tackle that's still there? Two, you could have your pick of the litter at receiver, even though that it is a very rich class. Yep. Or I mean, this is not going to be. A popular selection, I don't think, in the eyes of Jets fans. You better not say an interior defensive lineman, otherwise no. everybody's coming. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I was not going to say that. I was going to say an edge, uh, an edge rusher, and I think Jets fans would come around to it eventually. But I think 
in the instant, like, you know, the New York Jets select, let's say, for example, LSU edge rusher Caleb on Chase on, you, you Jets fans are probably, like, ready to riot with pitchforks because they want a, Well, it depends what happens in free agency. Receiver. That's the funny thing about That's the hard part of doing mock drafts. And I don't envy those guys, especially this time of year, because you have no idea what they're going to do in free agency. We talked about the Jets' long list of free agents Mm -hmm. at the offensive line position. Joe Douglas is going to address this offensive line in March. Make no mistake about it. Um, We just don't know what it's going to look like. Is Kelvin Beecham back? Uh, Is they aforementioned Alex Lewis back? Do they view him as a starter? Because last year he was brought in more so for depth purposes, and he became a starter along the line. Um, what do they feel about the third-round pick from USC, Chuma Adogo, yeah. who started a few games last year for them as well? And then there are some big-time names at the guard position, and mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you got to think about salary cap and all of this, and the Jets could have, you know, they're going to have more than 50, and it's they could go upwards to, what, 80 million or yeah. so or something like that, depending on what happens, how it all plays out. But do you get in the branded Scherf sweepstakes? I don't know. And then there's a guy we talking about, the Patriots. Yeah, Brady is going to be the most talked about free agent, and he should be, but they also have a guard there in New England who's becoming available as well. That is not my thoughts on Joe Tooney beyond. <laughs> but Devin McCourty is also a free agent for New England. Not to say here, I mean, New England has to, you know, choose who they want to resign to. Right, is going to get paid by somebody. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I, I'm almost – it almost feels, based on people that I was speaking to in the Senior Bowl and yep. interviewing the different NFL experts down there, everyone I spoke to seemed to think that the strategy here – would be more of the second wave free agents and really adding yeah to offensive line or everywhere. Felt like everywhere, like adding the the middle class of this Jets roster per se. Because I mean, last year we talked about it as as a content staff and as a team and, and as covering the team. If you look at the Jets starters before training camp even started, you're like, there's some talent. They're like there's legitimate talent on this team. And then you, you go through, and then you get to the depth. Like, okay, well, if you got hurt, you might see some problems, and that is exactly what happened. Oh, yeah. And Douglas is going to address the depth. No, make no mistake about that. And then, you know, we keep on juggling between offensive line and receiver. Is that, you know, Jamison Crowder's back. Mm-hmm. He was very productive last year. Well, what's the wide receiver market going to be for a guy like Robbie Anderson? Because he might, he, might be high. He's young. Yep. 26 years old, uh, what, he's the fifth undrafted undrafted free, free agent. 3,000 3, yards, yards receiving in his first four seasons. Um, he's never had a 1,000-yard season. With that being said, um, I think he's still developing as a player, and he, he's getting better. But um, if Omari Cooper stays in Dallas, well, is Robbie Anderson become – does he become – the most talented young guy on the free agent right. free agent market who's a receiver. And, that, and, and, and okay, so but and then the other part of the question is, what if he does decide to come back, and the Jets and him and his representation figure out a number, would that impact uh, what they felt about the receiver class at, at eleven? Because 
uh, yeah, Brugler and you have been discussing this all, all along is that, yeah, maybe not everybody's C.D. Lamb or not, maybe not everybody's Jerry Judy or not everybody's um, Rugs, but there's a lot of depth in this class. Yeah, and that depth extends all the way to the fourth round. And when I say the depth extends to the fourth round, meaning somebody in this receiver class that falls, let's say, to the fourth round might end up being a day one starter for an NFL team. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, unfortunately, like, you don't want to look at history and use that as a determining factor for your draft. But when you look at first-round receivers in the past, it's, it's not it's not a the, – the second-rounders always end up being the guy. And the third-rounders end up being the guy. Think about Terry McLaurin last year, D.K. Metcalf, second-round pick, Michael Thomas, the Saints receiver, second-round pick, Brashard yeah. Perriman. First-round pick. Corey Coleman, first-round pick. I mean, Amari Cooper was a first-round pick. It's interesting you, you mentioned Brashad Perry. Though. Because he's and a free agent. And another free agent. Um, when I think about successful Alabama. Jarvis Landry, third-round pick. When I think about successful Alabama receivers in the first round, my, I automatically go to Atlanta. I think about Julio Jones. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and Alabama's got two of them coming out yeah. this year. Yeah. I think Jets fans honestly might be a little scarred from Alabama receivers. Well, that's a tough take. But anyway, listen, you have um, Joe Douglas, who I think is going to be very calculated in his approach in free agency. Mm -hmm. you, you, you talked about the waves of free agency. I think people have to watch that this year. Maybe the Jets aren't getting a name like a Le'Veon Bell or a name like a C.J. Mosley, but uh, sometimes it can be strength in numbers. I kind of – I thought the Buffalo Bills did a nice job in free agency heading mm -hmm. into last season, filling their holes, especially up front along the offensive line, because two years ago their offensive line was one of the worst in the National Football League. For sure. And it became a top half of the league line, and that was in one off season. And they, and, si they signed seven linemen yeah, last yeah. off season. Right. So you it, talked about strength in numbers. There you have it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, another thing to think about in the salary cap era is you want to have all pros at every position. That's just not possible. <laughs> yeah. And there are going to be some of those guys who are 21 of your unrestricted free agents that you're, you want to get back, you know. And, uh, you know, you have uh, so many fascinating decisions to make because you mentioned the LSU edge rusher. Okay, well – What's going to happen with the Jets and Jordan Jenkins? Jordan Jenkins had 15 sacks the last two years, eight sacks last season, appearing in 14 games. Also set the edge for the NFL's number two ranked rush defense. Good locker room presence. Um, what's going to happen there? The good thing about where you stand with your own free agents is you can negotiate with them any day, yeah. whereas other teams got to wait until March right. 18th. All right, well, let, let's let's hit a couple combine questions All right, let's before go. we wrap up. My first question is just, in your time covering the NFL, is there a guy that sticks out as the biggest combine freak that you remember? Uh, I'd have to say Saquon Barkley. Oh, really? Yeah, because, you know, that was the year, you know, the Jets obviously moved up from six to three mm -hmm. uh, in order to get a quarterback. And Baker Mayfield, who you thought in January that year 
You're thinking, well, maybe that guy can be a first-round pick. Yes, because his stock continued to gain steam. And then ultimately he was taken number one overall. But when we went to the combine a couple of years ago, we were thinking Sam Darnold's going to Cleveland. Yeah. What was interesting was – Especially with the Haslam's going to his pro day. Yeah, after that. But what was fascinating about that year was the Giants were number two – and the buzz was Saquon Barkley, and they had Eli Manning. Now Eli Manning's retired, of course, but it's like, were they really going to take a quarterback at, I mean, a running back at two? And then people talked about it all week. This guy's just going to knock this thing out of the park. And, uh-huh. um, yeah, I, I think he's one of the guys who stood out because in this day and age, running backs typically don't go number two overall. Yeah. I, I, I don't think he hurt himself at the combine because the guy was just a physical specimen. I don't remember his um, across the board, what what he actually did. Uh, his 40-yard dash, I remember, was scorching. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I'm pretty sure it was – I think it was definitely 4-4 something. And it's Saqu- not four, no, I think it was 4-4 something, or maybe 4-3-9. Another thing about Saquon is that his legs are like the size of our entire bodies. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, it, it, Saquon's. Yeah, right. So um, he he was a guy who stood out to me. I'm trying to think a couple other guys. I remember uh, Byron Jones. Yeah. The the UConn pl- product, and then Cowboy now going to be a free agent. Yep. He had a, a ridiculous uh, broad jump. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean it's like sickening. You you got to watch it. Yeah, and his um, someone came out of school a couple of years after he did. Didn't really do a lot in the NFL. Obi Melanfonwu, you remember him? Yes, I do remember the name. He, he had a freakish combine too, and I remember those guys in particular. But I just uh, listen. There are so many things that we measure in weight and time and all these other things. And I remember the one year that the Rams ultimately moved up to get in position to get Jared Goff. Everybody's talking about his hand size. I mean, yeah. Yeah, he wasn't able to hand, hold on to the football and things like that. I, it, and now, now I can't say I watch the Rams every week since we're covering the Jets here, but we'll see them next year. I haven't heard one word about Jerry Goff's hand size same since thing, he left same college. Same thing with Sam, though. Yeah. And I'm point, I keep pointing here. There's a photo of Sam that no one can see. I keep going like this. Sam's not standing there. There's a yeah. photo of him. But the same thing with Sam. Yeah. And, I mean, that, this is like – the combine is like the ultimate microscope. Yes. You're, you're going to hear, oh, this guy, he's got short arms. This guy, you know, doesn't, he's too short for this. I mean, think about offensive linemen and short arms. I mean, that, that was Kelvin Beecham's knock. He, yeah. He's, he's been in the league eight years. Right, and he just told you the other day, which I thought was – That uh, it was his best season? Yeah, yeah. that was interesting. Well. So, so, I mean, th- this is all – it all goes back to what you said. It should be a confirmation – of what you see on film. Can this person play football yeah, at a level that you want to select him to be a part of your team? The other thing is, if the guy's playing on the outside, like if we were talking about a receiver before, you you don't want a receiver to run 4-6. I understand mm-hmm. that. Um, but if he is Anquan Bolden and he runs 4-5-2, go back and watch the tape. Right. Okay? Yeah. You know, offensive lineman. You don't want him benching eight times, two twenty-five. You know uh, there there are certain things, but mm-hmm. I let's 
all take oh, it. What's his let, name? Let's all take it into account and say, okay, they should be in this kind of range. But uh, can can guys help themselves? Yes, I think where they really help themselves is getting up on the board, but showcasing they understood what was happening on film. Yeah, how teams were trying to attack them. Uh-huh. and things of that nature, and also why I should be part of your program and why I'm going to help your team ultimately. You know who had an awful combine a couple of years ago? Uh, Orlando Brown, the right tackle for the Ravens. Yep. Was like He had like a bad combine. Yep. Like Didn't bench well, didn't yep. run well. Everyone was saying, like, how, like, oh, my God, what happened? And then he ended up being a third-round pick starting for the Ravens, and I'm per- I mean, I don't watch the Ravens every game. I'm yeah. pretty sure he had a good season, Yeah, oh, and he's yeah. a good player for them. So it, it, the combine is one of those things where players will rise, players will fall, but at the end of the day, the question remains the same. Can you play football? Yeah. And, and the combine is not the, the answer to that. The combine is just a part of the evaluation and, puzzle. And listen, there are going to be a few picks in the first round that everybody on the outside hit wrong. Mm-hmm. It, there's going to be a few, and it happens every year where, where a guy, you know, maybe maybe draft prognosticators had a guy in the second round or third round or fourth round or whatever. Um, you know, teams got to be thorough, um, and this really highlights what you do as a staff. The, yeah. uh, the other thing I'd like to say is that here's my thing about the draft is, yes, it is important to choose the right guy, but player development is huge in all this, okay? Because what do you do with the guy when he comes inside your building? Right. Your strength staff, your player development staff, your position coach, your coordinator, your head coach, everybody. So, <laughs> yes, it's part of the deal. Yes, you have to draft the right guy. But the process doesn't end there. Yeah. It, it almost you, like just starts yeah, again. Yes, yes. And some of these guys come from really small schools too, mm-hmm. whether it's Division II programs um, or whatnot. So they are entering a totally new life on the field and yep. off the field, and you can really help them once they're inside your building. The best teams, the best organizations, they take guys and – they oftentimes hit on somebody not just because they did the work leading into the draft. It was all the work they did after the draft. Yeah, it, it, that's a very good point. I mean, there's so many tentpole events. There's the first one, then there's free agency, which will shape the draft, and then between the draft and free agency are the pro days, yeah. and then it's the draft, and then after the draft – it's the player development, and, and, and that's where the real fun starts. And this is Joe Douglas's first true pro offseason as general manager. Yeah. And this mm. is – I kind of think this is like Adam Gase's first offseason as head coach because when you get hired in January, you know, everything's turning. Everything's yeah. turning. you got to put it all in. It's so a, And now like, these, guys are, these guys are together too. Right. You know, so meaning that – They've had time to, Joe had time to watch the way Adam prepares, um, the way he thinks of players, uh, the way Greg Williams um, implements his system and things like that. So he's been able to observe all that. I mean, I think that's actually 
at the time in which Joe was hired, yep. I, the, the narrative was, what a weird time sure. to hire a general manager because it's in June and he didn't do the draft. He didn't do free agency. You don't know if he wants any of these guys that just came in well. Yeah. Right now is where I think you start to see the benefits of hiring a general manager in June because, to your point, you get to go through a full season with the head coach and you're not – like if, he, if Joe were hired this past January yeah. – I'm sure to your point, like everything's turning, like getting assimilated to a new organization, new team, new coaching staff, new personnel staff. You got to put a staff together. They're not your scouts, and you're going, you're going, you're going, and then boom, free agency. Where now Joe's had, you know, north of six months to prepare for this offseason, and he got to see and evaluate the team throughout the year. Mm -hmm. So I think that, that that could only pay off well for the Jets moving forward. Um, yeah, yeah. and it's the, another – and you'll see those guys together next week. And it's just – it's another step in the process because yep. then after that you got the pro days. And we're going to have free agency March 18th. Yep. Um, I'm sure the Jets will sign a couple guys just like they did Daniel Brown uh, uh, very recently, uh, the reserve tight end who also plays uh, – prominent special teams role on the squad. They'll sign a couple of those guys. I mean, a handful. I don't know what the number will be prior to yeah. the 18th. And then there's going to be a flurry of moves because you have to fill out a roster. And that doesn't, again, doesn't necessarily have to be the guys on day one. You're going to have to fill out a roster, and you're going to have to fill some holes. The Jets mm -hmm. have some clear holes that we all know about. Um or prior to getting to the draft, and then and then let's see what happens. But a uh, long time to go until April. I was going to say that that was our combine preview podcast, but it's really a, like a state of the Jets podcast at that point. And we'll, well, well, listen, seven and nine last year, uh, and again, the thing that I always think about with the National Football League team is, mm -hmm. okay, do you have your organization in place from a leadership structure wise now i think the jets are set they, they got the coach in last january they hired the gm last june first off season together no now the second part of that is who's your quarterback jets i think are in a good position right now with sam darnold and and now we're going to see how this all is built up around uh, Darnold and company. And, you know, Joe Douglas got three ranks, uh, three ranks, two in Baltimore, one in Philadelphia. He knows what it takes to build a champion. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying he's building one tomorrow that it's going to happen in 2020 or 2020. I don't, I don't think you put a time stamp on it. But he is going to do this the right way. There you have it. The official Jets podcast powered by – AWS, the combine preview, really the state of the Jets. And, of course, EA and I will be recording multiple podcasts throughout the offseason. And, you know, next stop is free agency, so maybe we'll see you then.